help but think that we have to be in the period of time when the angel spoke to the prophet Daniel and said at the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge will increase. People are running to and fro like never before. We've had an explosion of knowledge. I'm not so much sure about wisdom, but we've had an explosion of knowledge in our culture. And we look for all kinds of ways to find that find rest. To just, man, I need to get all it. I need the world to stop a minute. I just need to find a way to relax. And we'll see things like this. And I'm guilty of this, okay? And I do enjoy this. People will say, man, if I can just get down to the beach, if I can just get a week, if I can just get a vacation, I can get down there and I can get my chair set up and I can get an umbrella on a warm day. I can just relax and rest and forget all the Forget the world for a while. Or maybe for you it's the mountains. If I can just get to the mountains, if I can just sit on a, a porch and overlook the vastness of the mountains or get on a hiking trail, I can rest. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you're a hunter. Man, if I can get my rifle, if I can get my bow and get in the woods and find me a big old buck, I can rest. Or fishing or get on my boat or whatever it is you, you, you do to, to relax. And it's created really all kinds of gimmicks. How many of you have heard of the My Pillow guy? Everybody's heard of the My Pillow guy. He promises a good night's rest. This guy has taken something that we all use, a pillow of all things. We all have them, but what he's done, he's created one that he says is going to give you the best night's rest. And he's a master marketer, is what he is. And everybody, does anybody have a My Pillow? Right. Does, it, does it work? Oh, it works. Sister Chris, does it work? Because I've been thinking about getting one. I mean, if it, if it, if it works, why not, why not give it a try? But he's just a master marketer, and he's made millions of dollars. Thank God, because he has a wonderful testimony for the Lord, how the Lord saved him out of a life of addiction. He does. He has a wonderful testimony. And so there's all kinds of gimmicks. And um, this Valentine's Day, Tammy and I went down to the beach, and she said, I've got a surprise for you. I said, okay. And I said, if I guess it, will you tell me? And she laughs and said, yeah, you'll never guess it. So I said, okay, a massage. She said, no, it's not a massage. Which, that's a great way to relax. Maybe you've had one before. And she said, we got to be at this place at 9.30 on a Friday morning. So we went down to the beach on Thursday. I said, okay. So we get up. She puts it in her GPS. We're riding around because she don't really know where it is either. It's in Wilmington. And it takes us into this uh, strip mall. And we're riding and we're both looking up. I don't even know what I'm looking for, but we're looking up at the, at the, what, what the store what the stores are in the strip mall. And the first thing I see, I see the Army recruiting station, and I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> Ready to get rid of me. There's another way. I'm too old to have an M4 in my hand and be on C-130 somewhere. We'll leave that to the young people. And so, but we ride on by the Army recruiting station, thank goodness. And we come up to this uh, shop, and above it it says, True Rest. She said, here we are. And I said, what is this? What are we going to do here? And she says, we're going to float. I said, float? Anybody ever heard of it? Anybody ever heard of floating? Not many people have. I see a couple. Okay. What does that mean, we're going to float? She says, we're going to go in, and we're going to get in. They, you have your own little private room, and they have a big pod in there. It's about egg-shaped. Okay. And the top half of it opens, and it's full of water, maybe 10 inches, a foot of water, heavily salted. If you've ever been in the Dead Sea, and I have been, I know maybe Chris and Kristen have, Pastor Don, it's like being in the Dead Sea. If you get in there and you just relax, you're going to float. You're just going to float. And this girl begins to tell me all the benefits of this, and the whole purpose of it is to rest, 
to get away from the grind of life. You don't have a phone in there. You don't have anything in there. And, and your options are this. You can, you can get in there and float, and you can have a little music, background music in your pod, and a, low, a little bit of low light. But the other option, and this is what they recommend, is complete darkness and no music. Now, let me say for the, for the record, I can rest. I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that can get away a little bit. But the, the thought of that right there did not excite me at all. And I told the young lady, I said, this is going to be tough for me. And I said, so we got some music? She said, yeah. I said, look, I'm an 80s dude. You got any 80s music or maybe some worship music? No, no, we got that, you know, that, the music like you get when you're going to get a massage, that kind of oriental music. I said, well, I'm going to have a little music and I'm going to need some lights. I need some stimulus. And uh, I get into my pod and... I'm, I'm probably in there, I guess, maybe three minutes, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a long hour. This is just going to be a long hour. But it, it turns out that, you know, it, it, it went okay. Uh, after I finally got past it, and I did move around in my pod a little bit, and what they recommend is that you just move, be as still as you can. Don't let anything come into your mind, and all these things. That's, that's just impossible for me on some level, for an hour anyway. And so anyway, I thought, I, I don't know, I didn't have, a, I should have took me a clock in there, but I didn't, a watch. My watch is waterproof. And I'm thinking, you know, I've probably been in here about 40 minutes now. I just got to get out of here. I'm getting out, I'm going to shower, I'll meet Tammy back out in the lobby. And about that time, they said when your float is over, you'll know because the water will trouble, and they'll say, your float is coming to an end. And, and about the time I was ready to get out, my water troubles, and it says, your float is coming to an end. And so I said, thank goodness. I got out, showered, went out. Then we went to the oxygen bar. And I got to sit down there and have a little auction. I got some eucalyptus, and I said, what's this supposed to do for me? And it's supposed to do kind of, kind of warnings for things for you. And I asked Tammy about her experience. She said, I went in there with no lights and no music. And I was like, I just can't do that. And I said, why would you do that? She said, where else could you go for an hour and just kind of get away from it all and just not worry about the pressures of life or this and try not to worry about what you're facing? Because all of us are dealing with something, facing something. And immediately what I said, and I was reluctant to say it because one thing I do not like within myself, and I miss God because of this sometimes, church, I don't like piousness, sounding preachy. And Jesus didn't like it either. But there are times to speak, and the first thing that came to my mind when she said, where could you go for an hour? I said, Friday night prayer. In essence, that's what I do Friday night prayer. I come here, we call it an hour of prayer, but it's more an hour of abiding time. There's a music set. Don't, don't, don't be looking at your emails and your phone. You might have your phone to look at some scripture. But I come for an hour to meditate and focus on the Lord. And to float in His presence and to be in His presence. And forget about the, the issues and the trials and the, the struggles of life for a while. And pray. And sometimes we pray for each other. And so she said, you know what? You're right. But people are looking somewhere to rest, to find a way to relax. As a matter of fact, there was a study by a lady named Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She wrote a book recently. It's very popular. And she said in today's society, there's seven types of rest needed. Seven types of rest. Physical rest, mental rest, sensory rest, creative rest, emotional rest, social rest, and spiritual rest. And in the, in the version that I read of this that kind of gave the Cliff Notes version of this book, of how, what you did to get all these different rests, I was wore out just trying to figure out how to rest from the rests. 
But we can see from all the gimmicks, all the books, everything, that we live in a society that needs to learn to rest. Which brings me to my text. If you have your Bible or your phone, if you'll turn with me to Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you have your outline, just look at the introduction. It says, In this fast-paced, and stressed out world that we live in today, people are looking for rest and relaxation in all the wrong places. There are new products and gimmicks constantly coming out. Some seek spiritual rest in some new age movement. However, you will never know true rest until you find it in the one that created us and to have rest in him. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at Jesus' words. I wanted to break them down and talk about what did Jesus mean? He said, come unto me all you are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. What did he mean? And as with any scripture that we read, it's very important to understand the context. It's very important to understand the context. So if you look at uh, number one on your outline, let's look at just for a moment of the context of the words of, of that statement and that phrase that Jesus made. First, the whole chapter, chapter 11, this, is, this scripture is at the very end of chapter 11. When the Bible was originally written, it wasn't written in verse breaks and chapter breaks. It was just continuous words. So this was, Jesus said this at the very end of chapter 11. And the context of chapter 11 is mostly about John the Baptist. And Jesus is praising John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison for calling out Herod's sin. Herod had been with a woman named Herodias. Herodias was his brother's wife. And John said, you can't do that. That is a sin. And if you read the story, I don't have time to read the story of how Herod was tricked. He didn't want to take John the Baptist into custody, but he had to. He was tricked to getting John and have him arrested and ultimately beheaded for it. So here's a man, he's just standing for righteousness for what's right, and he's in prison. And throughout the course of Jesus talking about John the Baptist, he says this in Matthew 11 and 12. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, he's not talking about physical violence. I think what Jesus is saying, from the days of John the Baptist, who's about to be beheaded for righteousness, until now, until right now, even today, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. We're in a spiritual battle. The battle is of the forces of good versus the forces of evil. And that's played out in all sorts of ways. I don't know if you saw today, uh, this week, but one of the congressmen by the name of Jerry Nadler out of New York made the statement from the floor. He said, there is no concern for the will of God in this Congress. What a dangerous statement. What a dangerous statement. What a way to say, hey, we don't want this government here don't care one bit about what the will of God is. That's a dangerous statement. When I heard that, it made me think about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He thought that. 
And he ended up on all fours eating grass as a madman until he finally came to his senses and said, the God of Daniel is the one true God. And so when I hear a congressman make a statement like that, it makes me want to be angry. It makes me want to get like uh, John and, and one of those disciples and say, Lord, call down fire from heaven and lap him up and let him know that you're the one true God. But the reality of it is, is Jerry Nadler is under the same grace that I'm under. God would that Jerry Nadler would repent and come to a saving knowledge of him. And that's what we have to stay with. But the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It's still going forward no matter what it looks like. And then I think it's important to understand the people that the Lord was talking to. There was a crowd there. And I think in today's society, we think, we got, you don't, we got it bad here in, in America. I mean, the government is getting too much control, and it is. They want to meddle in everything of our lives. They're trying to get involved in our faith, and they are. And uh, there's all kinds of denominations. There's all this stuff. The church is a mess, and in some ways it is. But if you look at really what it was like when Jesus' day was here, We've got it really good because he come into a system that was really a mess. All those people out there, they were under some form of Roman rule, heavily taxed, and for the religious side, they were under heavy Jewish legalism. You know, as I researched that, I found something that I found very fascinating. It said that in Jesus' day, within the, underneath the Roman rule, there were three functioning societies. There was a peasant society, there was a purity society, and there was a patriarchal society. The peasant society, most everything was agriculture. And so the peasant society would have been those in the agricultural system. Within that peasant society, there would have been the peasant society out there that Jesus would have been speaking with. 10% of those people out there who were in the peasant society were the ruling elites. They controlled 66% of the wealth. And the other 90% would have just been the worker peasants, kind of our blue-collar workers today. They probably didn't care much for the 10% that controlled the wealth. Also within that was the purity society, the purity society. And I want to break that down for you and tell you here what was considered pure, which was clean, and what was considered impure, which was unclean. Here's what made you pure. You were righteous. You were male. Generally, but not automatically pure. You were rich. Generally, but not automatically. You were a Jew. Generally, but not automatically. And you were well, healthy, or whole. You weren't sick in any way. That made you, some combination of that made you clean or pure. Here was the impure, or the unclean. Outcasts and sinners. Female. You were automatically impure. Poor. Their conventional wisdom said the poor hadn't lived right. If you'd lived better, you wouldn't be in that condition. Gentile. Impure by definition. And you were in some way ill, maimed, or diseased. So if you were a, a poor Gentile who was sick, you were the lowest of the low. But you know when I stumbled over this? And I stalked back through the scriptures of who Jesus interacted with. How he met a Samaritan woman at a well. A woman. Samaritan. And that's who he chose to, to reveal his Messiahship to. How there was a leprous man. And if you've been reading your Bible plan, you've just done a lot on leprosy. And how a rabbi or a priest couldn't touch them. Nobody could touch them. They were impure. They even had to shout out, unclean. 
And this leprous man comes down, probably poor. And he says, Lord, would you heal me if you're willing? He said, well, I'm willing. And not only did he heal him, he touched him. And so we see here from the Gospels who Jesus came to deal with. Who he came to give hope to. It wasn't those who had it all together. It was to the unclean and impure. Not physically, spiritually, of which we all are. And we'll talk about that some more as we go through. And then finally, the patriarchal society. That was made up of the Sanhedrin. That was surrounded to temple worship. That was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. That was the high priest. And do you know this? The high priest was chosen by Rome. It had become corrupted. And guess who they chose? They chose the connected. They chose the wealthy. That's who was in the high priest. They bought right into this whole idea of the pure, the patriarchal, the being the elite. And we see that throughout the scriptures. And we'll see that a little bit more as we walk through this. When we went to, uh, Tammy and I a few years ago had a chance to go to Israel. And we were at the uh, Israeli museum. This, this was fascinating. And outside of that museum, they had a life-size scale of the city of Jerusalem. Now, it was to scale, so it was small, but it was large. And so you could stand on it and get a bird's eye view of the, of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And they could show you where the temple was, and they could show you where Caiaphas' house was, and they show you some things on this model. And the upper city was where the temple was, and that's where the chief priests were, and that's where the elites were, and that's where they lived. And down in the bottom was where those peasants were, where, the, where maybe where the poor were, maybe where the ill and lame were. And our guide asked us, she said, where do you think Jesus was most popular? He was down there with the poor people because he identified with them. And I couldn't help but think as I stood there, I thought, you know, Lord, in some ways it's the same today. Those people who got it all together, I've got it all together, I've got some money, I'm part of the ruling class, what do I need this for? And that is true today still. It wasn't totally true. You know, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of that ruling class, but he became a disciple. And when Jesus was crucified, he went to Herod and he said, can I have his body? I have a tomb I want to have him buried in because he was a wealthy man. And so that was the society. That was the context. John the Baptist. Jesus is speaking to a variety of people when he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is focus on the three verbs that Jesus says in that text. Jesus says, Come. He says, Take. And he says, Learn. He says, come. He says, come to me. Come to me. In the previous scripture right before that, he has said, I and the Father are one. He, he, he describes his deity. And we should understand who we're coming to. We're not coming to some new age teacher. We're not some coming to some guy who's going to give you your best life now. We're coming to the very God of heaven incarnate. That's who we're coming to. And here's who he says, come. Come to me, who are la- who, those who labor and are heavy laden. If you've got it all together, if you're here this morning and things are going great for you, you're not sick, you've got plenty of money, COVID didn't affect you that much, you don't have any need for this, he wasn't really talking to you. I say you're making a terrible mistake because you're looking in the natural world and Jesus was talking to the spiritual world. He said, come to me, those who labor. He was looking out there at all those poor the ill, the females, the maimed, all those that the religious leech, those who had it all together, said these people are unpure. He was talking to them because they were burdened and they were heavy laden. 
but it wasn't physically. You know what shocks me as I thought about this is where people go first before they come to the Lord. People go everywhere else when there's a problem in life. Or they go, like I said, they go to the beach or they go hunting or they go to the mountains. Or if I can just, you know, get a better job or I can get a bigger house. And unfortunately in this society today when life really gets hard, some people, they, they, find, they try to find their rest and respite in a pill bottle or an alcohol bottle. And you know one of the fastest growing addictions in our world today is prescription pill addiction. All of us probably know somebody that's been touched by that. They're looking for a way out. It had nothing to do with dealing with their pain. They're looking for a way out. Jesus said, come in faith. You have to come to him in faith. You know what? The key mantra today, trust the science. Trust the science. If you're going to come to the Lord trying to figure him out, if you're going to come to the Lord trying to put the science to it, you'll never come to him. You can't come to the one who transcends the science. You can't come to the one who created the heavens and the earth. The science would say, you can't go out there and walk on that water, but he did. The science says when a man's dead, he's dead, but he rose up. You have to come to the Lord in faith. John 6 and 37. Jesus said, all that the Father give me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. You come to him in faith. You come to him believing. Now look, I think so many times today, though, people think that Christians check their brains at the door. I didn't check my brains at the door this morning. As a matter of fact, it's with your brains that you'll come to the Lord. Now the Spirit will draw you and the Spirit will do the work. But if you're here today and you don't have an intimate relationship with him, you take the word of God. You sit down and you say, Lord, if you're real, I want you to reveal yourself to me. You begin to seek him. You begin to read his word and you see what happens. Come in faith. Come without conditions. Unfortunately, I think in our world today, people come to the Lord, particularly in our culture, when there's a crisis of life. I just got a bad medical report. My my child has, has, has gone away. I've lost my job. A crisis is hit. I know what I'll do. I hear about that church down the street, Bethel Christian Center. They believe in healing. They still believe in the power of God. I'll run down there and I'll go in and I'll see if God will do something for me. And if he'll do something for me, I'll believe him. Church, God's God and he does what he wants to do, but I don't think we come to him oftentimes in conditions. We come to him because of who he is. We come to him in faith and we come to him with a submissive spirit. You know, it's not unlike the uh, Jesus was speaking to a group of people in John 6 and 30. And he said this to them. Jesus said, therefore, they said to him, no, the people said to Jesus, this is the people, people speaking to Jesus. They said, therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And people still do that today. What work will you do? Then I'll believe you. Then I'll believe on you. If you'll heal me, if you'll get me a job, if you'll make things better. We don't come to him in conditions. But we come to him as Peter did when Jesus described, he had said some hard words about what it was going to be like to follow him and what he was going to have to do. And many of the people who were following the Lord left. And in John 6, 67 through 68, Jesus had looked at his disciples. He said, hey, do you guys want to go away too? It's not going to be as easy as you thought it would be. You're really not going to have your best life now. There might be some self-sacrifice in this. You may actually have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Do you want to leave? And Peter said this, 
Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go? I don't know where I'm going. And it's not just going to be when I'm sick, when I've got a bad report. I'm going to come into his presence and worship him for who he is. Just as we did this morning. And give him praise and give him honor for who he is. And then finally, come believing. Come believing. John 6 and 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. We have to, we, sometimes we think, well, we got to do something. But Jesus said, no, come believing in me. That's where salvation is found. When you come and believe and put your trust in me. Come in faith, come without conditions, come believing. We come, as the old song says, just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest come to me. O Lamb of God, I come. That's how we come to Him. And we come to Him like that, He will meet us right where you are. It doesn't matter what your past has been like. It doesn't matter the bad things you've done. None of that matters. He says, come to me. And then He said, take. Take my yoke. The yoke is a symbol of submission. Jesus would have been talking to peasants. He would have been talking to people who knew all about agriculture. They would have fully understood when he said, take my yoke. I remember as a, as a young boy in, in, in church, and they would say, yoke. I was always thinking of an egg yoke. I was like, what is a yoke? I don't even know what that is. But it's, it's an apparatus that they would put on the oxen so they could control them. And as I read and studied through this, most of the time the yoke, and Jesus would have known this, was a double. It, was, it hitched two animals together. So that when one was tired, one wasn't pulling the load, the second one could take up the slack. And what Jesus was saying is, hey, come yoke yourself to me. Come and put your yoke with me. Come and be willing to submit to me. Come and be willing to lay down your life to me. And when you do that, when you yoke yourself to him, it makes a huge difference in your life. You can look for all the other things to yoke yourself to. And I'm here to tell you, church, one way or the other, we're all in submission to something. We're all in submission. Those people who are out there who are chasing a dollar, to, that's, that's what drives them. They're in submission to that. You want to see somebody in submission? Go find someone who's been an alcoholic or been in addiction. You're talking about being in submission to something. People in submission to bad relationships. People in submission to uh, materialism. You're in submission to something. Submit yourself to Him. Yoke yourself to Him. The submission of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that was keeping the rules. See, as long as they could keep creating more rules and more rules and more rules, do you know there were some 602 rules that they had created that the people had to follow? And the whole purpose of that was to keep them way up here and keep the people way down there. They couldn't keep them. They couldn't keep them. Jesus in Matthew 5 and 20 he said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He was tough on them because they tried to make the kingdom of heaven hard to obtain. They, they were the elite. They wanted to say, you've got to follow all of our rules. And they certainly wouldn't let any of the impure, the women, the Gentiles. They could never be a part. But not with the Lord. And he said, the, the yoke of Jesus 
It's light. He said, my, my yoke is light. You know what that is, church? It's grace. Jesus was introducing the concept of grace. Sister Christie had a great acronym for that. I've never heard it before. You may have. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's Christ, I'm going to take what you deserve, and I'm going to put it on a cross. I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to take it to a cross. And if you'll put your faith in me, there's going to be an exchange there. And I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. And you don't have to keep all these rules of these Sanhedrin, these Pharisees, and these Sadducees. And before you walk out and say, well, I think he might be alluding to the fact that Christians shouldn't have to live right. Wrong. But I'm going to tell you something from experience. You're not going to lead people to the Lord by browbeating them with a list of rules. You will run them away. You tell them about the Lord. They come to the Lord. They have a real salvation experience with Him. The rule keeping will follow. Not because I told them, you better do this, and you better not do that, and you better do this, and you better not do that. It'll be because they've come to the Savior. And now their life's goal is to please Him. When there's something in their life and the Holy Spirit convicts them of it, they'll con- it'll, it'll, it'll eat you up till you repent of that and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And He's there to help. But we'll never draw people to the Lord with our list of rules. We draw them. The Lord draws them with grace. In 1 John 5 and 3, John said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You know, you can't understand that when you're outside the grace of God. I understand some of the people that I deal with, some of the people that I witness to. I know they're not saved. They're still my friends. I still love them. I'm not going to reject them. Matter of fact, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to try to spend even more time around them. I understand they're on the outside looking in thinking, man, I'm going to have to stop doing this and stop doing that and start doing this and start doing that. And that sounds burdensome. I was there one time. But when you come in and you experience the love of the Lord and He redeems your life and you begin to walk with Him and talk with Him, all that stuff changes. But it's only done through and by Him. And what Jesus is really doing, He said, I'm going to give you rest for your souls. And that's what people are looking for. That's what they try to go to the beach to find, go to the mountains, go fishing, hunting. They're looking for rest for their souls. But someone has said there is a cross-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. And when you come to Him and you take on His light burden, and He lifts that sin burden if you're under that, you get to enjoy those things I talked about in a whole different realm. Because you're not looking for them for a way to escape the issues of life. You're looking for because you just get to enjoy it. And then lastly, he said, learn from me. Learn from me. We learn through the word. Psalm 24 and 25. The psalmist said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are, my, you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all day long. Teach me your paths, Lord. Lead me in your truth. See, we have his word. You want to know the ways of the Lord? You want to be taught by him? It's through his word. And it's through that word, through the Holy Spirit. Which is found in John 16 and 13. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth has come. Everybody wants to know what the truth is today. Everybody wants to know what the truth is today. When the spirit of truth comes and dwells within you, he said, he'll lead you 
into all truth. You read God's Word in a different way. You know that this is the way. Walk in it. And people can tell you all they want to tell you, but they'll never convince you otherwise because it's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I heard one person say this, if I can talk you into it, someone else can talk you out of it. But when the Holy Spirit does the work, when He draws you to the Lord, when you take on His yoke and submit yourself to Him, you begin to walk in the truth. It don't matter what all of the popular culture says is right and wrong. It doesn't matter what Jerry Nadler says. It don't matter what anyone says. You know what the truth is. And nobody can change that. And lastly, learn from fellow believers. Hebrews 3 and 13 says, But exhort, that's encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's why the church is so important. I said this last time I preached, we didn't open the church because we're a bunch of egotistical maniacs that, wanted not, that the rules don't apply to us. We open the church because we know how it is important. The, the Word of God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And we felt it important to do that. Yes, do it in right way. But this gathering together that we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and Friday nights and whenever else we gather together is important. It's God's plan for us to exhort each other, to grow together to hold each other accountable and learn from each other. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team if they'll come forward. Jesus said, come to me, take my yoke, and learn from me. You'll see on your outline there that I've got a couple points of application. What does this mean for you today? How, how do I, okay, Larry, I hear you, but how do I rest? How do I find this rest? I can tell you about it till I'm blue in the face. What we're really talking about is the peace of God. Jesus said, I'll give you peace, not as the world gives. You will never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And in Romans 5 and 1, it tells us that we only have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And once we get that peace into our spirit and begins to rest our souls, so that's what we're really talking about. If you're here today, the, the, the burden that Jesus was primarily talking about in the heavy laden was the sin burden. And yeah, the poor and the, and the lame and all those things, those were physical, outward physical signs. But he was saying to them, come lay your sin burden down. And he was saying that to the Pharisees and all. They heard him too. They just wouldn't receive it. But they needed it as much as, probably more than the poor and the sick and the women. He came to say, whosoever will, if you'll recognize that you, you have a, a debt that you can't pay, and something begins to pull in your spirit, whether it's in this service or another service or in your car as you're listening to some worship music and you feel something pulling at your spirit, you know there's a problem and i got to deal with it. And until you deal with that, until you lay the sin burden down, you can float all day long, you can go to the beach, you can do whatever you want to do, but you won't find true rest for your souls. You won't find true rest. Next, practice the discipline of solitude. We are losing that in our society. We so have to be doing something all the time. 
particularly in our younger generation. That phone's right there, that Facebook is right there, Instagram, Snapchat, what, the TV. And we find it hard to... F- and, and Jesus got away, didn't he, to a solitude place, particularly after he'd ministered. It's important. And if you're here in ministry, you have some type of call in your life, and we all do to some degree, it's even more important for you to find some time to abide with the Lord apart from your phones and whatever else. I'm reminded of the story of Martha and Mary every time I say that. Jesus went to Martha's house and Mary, her sister, was there. And see, Martha was like my mother-in-law, Beverly. She had, a, she had a servant's heart. And she was running around and getting the food ready and getting the drinks ready. And Jesus is here and i got to be a good hostess and do this and do that. And Mary was sitting down at Jesus' feet. And finally, Martha looks over and says, Lord, make her help me. I mean, I'm up here cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm doing it. She's just sitting there. And he looked at her and he said, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen a better thing. And you can get wore out by doing. And we all should be doing something. But don't get wore out by doing. You work in some time, some time of solitude between you and the Lord. And lastly, let you know be you know. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in talk, talking about taking oaths, he said, let your yes be your yes. But he didn't stop there. He said, let your no be your no. No's a powerful word. And maybe you've got a lot going on in your life. Maybe, you know, you, you just don't want to overcommit. You, you, you really want to help with something. But someone comes to you and asks you to do something and you, you really don't want to do that. You feel like it's going to be a little too much. Don't be afraid to say no. Especially if it's going to impede on the time that you know that you need to spend in quiet time. Or if it's something that's going to prevent you from being in fellowship with, the, with your believers, your brothers and sisters. Let your no be your no. Because what we're really looking for is rest for our souls. So the question for us today, and I've asked Brother Matt and, team, and the team to sing, it is well with my soul. So I want to ask you, as you think about what I said, is it well with your soul? It might be well with your checkbook. It might be well with your physical health. It might be well all those things. But what about your soul? Is it well with it? God called you out of this earth today. I uh, had a witnessing opportunity last week with a guy who had faced a... He really faced death. And I felt that push of the Spirit. He'll push you if you're willing to witness for him. He said, now's the time. And I said, I want to ask you a question. If you hadn't have made it through that, where would you spend eternity? And his eyes well up with tears. Big power lifter dude. And we had a wonderful conversation. I don't know that it made any difference. But the reality of it is, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So you better make sure it's well with your soul. And if it's well with your soul, you'll find rest like you've never found before. And you won't find it floating. Although it it was nice. But you'll find it in the presence of God. You'll float in His presence. You'll be in His Spirit. And He can do things for you that no other thing can do. So as they sing this song, I just want you to contemplate your soul. Where, where do you stand? If you're here today and you've never laid your sin burden down, please come down here. If you're here, there's something troubling you. And you said, I just need to, some, some people to come around and pray with me. We've got the chairs. Come sit and let somebody come pray with you. Don't let your pride keep you from getting what God has for you. Amen.
We believe in the prayer of the saints. The Bible says, if he's sick among you, let him call on the elders of the church. If there's someone here today, you have physical ailment, there's something, a physical sickness, and you would like to come up and have someone anoint your head and pray for you, now's the time. I won't linger long. If you, if you have something you'd like for us to pray for you, it doesn't have to be a physical sickness. It could be something else. So everybody's good. Praise God. I want to encourage you this week as you go out, look for ways of solitude. Get, get out of the rat race. And if you're here today and maybe, maybe you surrendered yourself to the Lord right there in your pew, you don't have to come up front. You want to talk to someone. You, you come see me after service. See Brother Dan here. Raise your hand, Brother Dan. We'll talk to you about what it means to surrender your life to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's been in this place. God, I thank you that we can find rest in you. We, we live in a world that, that, that seems to have gone crazy, Lord. And it'll suck us dry. But Lord, we can slip off like you did and commune with you and abide with you. You said you abide in me and I'll abide in you. And we find rest. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the sense of your spirit we felt in worship. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Don now, that as he's home, that you'd strengthen him. And as we go forward out in this week, let us go out in your strength and in your power. Let us go out as your ambassadors and your witnesses to tell a lost and dying world where they can find rest. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.